Welcome to Return to Ease, the show where we talk about different ways to live with more intention. Each week, we will discuss different ways to learn how to nourish our mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Rachel Pecora. I'm a licensed massage therapist and a John F. Barnes trained myofascial release therapist. I am passionate about living an authentic life and want to help you return to ease. Welcome back to another episode of Return to Ease. Today, I have a special guest, Alex Spurgle. Alex is a yoga teacher and trainer, and she guides people through their healing journey with yoga. She helps people heal trauma and accept grief while learning to live with safety in their body. So welcome to the show, Alex. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you are a yoga teacher, and I love what you what you help people with, because I feel like that's very aligned with what I help people with as well in my body work. So I'd love to talk about a little bit of how you got started with uh, your journey and how you started the work of healing through trauma and grief with yoga. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I feel like any of us who are in this work where we serve the practice. And when we offer tools for healing and safety, what brought us there was our own experiences and our own suffering. And that's usually what even brings us to the yoga mat in the first place as students, or for those of us who are seeking, you know, Reiki and this other stuff, it's our suffering that brings us there. I've been practicing yoga for about 15 years, Um, took my first class when I was 14 or 15 with my sister, and it was unconscious, you know, I thought in that class, it was just a workout and and a chance for me to feel flexible in my body. Um, But over time, my experience and relationship with yoga was growing and elevating and shifting in these different ways. And the most impactful time that I had where I felt like the movement was stirring up uh, the energy in a sense where I was able to release and find healing was when I was in college or just out of college. And I was moving through some traumas, um, some sexual traumas that were stuck in my body And my father had also died when I was 17. So there's also those remnants of grief that just stay stuck in the body. And without that awareness that emotions are in our body, they just start to manifest as anxiety and fear and PTSD and anger and rage and ego, you know, like protection and defensiveness and pride. And around the ages of, I want to say 23, 22, 23, um, I was really facing these emotions bravely in therapy. Mm -hmm. And at the same time was going to yoga about three to four times a week. And during this time frame, I cried in every single Shavasana, you know, the final resting meditation, yeah. but I wasn't thinking of anything. I wasn't cognitively connecting to emotions or thoughts. I was just crying 
And I felt great. I felt amazing after every class. And I spoke to the owner of the studio who I really trusted and felt safe with. I spoke with her privately in her office and told her about some of the things that I had been moving through in my personal life outside of the yoga studio. And could they be related? Like me crying in Shavasana, is that somehow related to what? And then she was kind of just like, welcome to yoga. Like this, (laughs) yes, this is the medicine of movement. This is the medicine of the science of yoga. And that opened up a major door for me of just wanting to learn as much as possible of like how that even works. And um, yeah, using my yoga practice in collaboration with my cognitive talk therapy. And um, yeah, it just evolved from there. And over time decided that I needed to bring this to other people because I thought I was, you know, self-aware and, and emotionally intelligent. And, and I was, you know, at those times in my life for sure. But now that I had this information, I'm like, oh, everyone needs to know this. Like everyone needs to do yoga. Like we need, we need both. So that's, that's my mission now. That's like my purpose. Like, how can I bring this to everyone so they can start to heal, you know? That's beautiful. I think that it's one of those things that, you know, if you do yoga or some form of body work, you know, I do myofascial release. Um, it was very mind body connection to it. And we can talk about it all day long. We can go to talk therapy, which is very helpful. We can, you know, get body work and we can do the, the yoga as exercises, but until we actually embody it as a, a different practice and we feel it, there's no way to explain it. There's no words for it until you actually feel it in your body. I can explain to people all day long, like you might have some emotional stuff come up, but it doesn't, it's not going to land well unless someone actually experiences it. And then they're like, oh yeah, this is, this is what you're talking about. And then they're able to have that awareness. That awareness is really, in my opinion, key to what, you know, um, what heals us. So that's, I love that yeah. story. It's so beautiful. I completely agree with what you said. It's not something that you can just study. It's something that you have to arrive to or, or be, be willing to heal. You know, it, it, it's takes a level of bravery to arrive to this path. And sometimes the resistance, you know, we're just not, we're not ready because it's, not always pretty, you know, facing these things could be really scary. And so that's also a huge part of the work I do is never to judge anyone's journey or if they're, if they're not ready or they're not willing. And sometimes that's hard because you can see someone like on the brink and you know, if they just push a little more, like they can get there, but you know, it's just about, it's everyone's own unique journey. And I love how you said the word embodiment. I was speaking with one of my clients the other day. I do, I also do um, one-on-one yoga teacher mentorship for people who are new teachers and they're looking to, you know, strengthen their skills as teachers. Mm-hmm. And the theme about embodiment came up. And what we were talking about is that to embody something means to express like a, a deep truth. And so you can't embody something unless you actually believe it, 
you know, and like believe it and trust it, you know, in your body completely. Like there's no doubt. There's no questioning. Is this working? Is this going to help this person? It's, it's that anchored trust. And then that's when the work can really unfold. How do people, or in your experience, how do people um, kind of cultivate that? Is what do you, how do you teach that to people? Do you have a encouraging them to just practice? Yeah. Because there's there's not it's so individual, it's so subjective. You know, you can't you can't teach anyone how to trust themselves, but they can learn how to trust themselves in their own routine, in their own disciplines, in their own practice. Um, you know, like even with yoga, I can sit in front of a class and teach these things that I read in a book. And I know that they're true because I read them and it's from a great teacher, but it translates completely differently when you can teach from the heart because you've lived it and because you've experienced it. So if people are looking like, how do I embody this? How do I know it? It's not, you're not going to get it from studying. You're going to get it from getting on your mat every day and just seeing what happens, you know, maybe putting on some music and burning an incense or whatever it is that makes you feel like you're consecrating your space and creating a sacred container for yourself. No pressure, no guidance. Let's just see how the body starts to move. Mm. And that's, I think that's the beginning of learning what it is to embody something is practice. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you say that about um, just allowing the body to move and kind of just going with that, because I think, I think for most people, allowing free movement is not something we are taught to do. Um, You know, kids do that a lot until at some point they develop something that says we're not allowed to do that anymore. You can't move. You have to sit still. You have to go to school, whatever it is. And so I think we lose that part of our body, that curiosity within ourselves. Like we have a deeper knowing everyone does. We all have that intuition, but I think we turn it off and then we're so far disconnected from it that it's hard to even play around with the idea of practicing movement or let's just try this movement. Well, I don't know what'll happen, but I'm open to trying. And I think a lot of people get hung up on, you know, maybe looking silly or making a mistake or it's not perfect or, you know, whatever the the belief is around it. But um, I think just, you know, finding something and, and trying is really, yeah, it's really helpful. So, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying, you know, yeah. for a lot of people um, to give their body that freedom when maybe they don't know what freedom in the body feels like, especially when we're talking about trauma, and, yeah. and a lot that has to do with trauma is different levels of control, you know, mm-hmm. or, or times where we didn't have control. Mm-hmm. So to, for someone else to instruct you to find freedom in your body, that can sound so completely foreign and terrifying. So there's that, that gentleness and that grace that has to come with being, you know, a guide or, or teacher in this way. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, when I teach yoga, sometimes every now and then I'll give like five breaths of, you know, they're in their downward facing dog or they're in a tabletop position on their hands and knees. And I'll say, 
okay, free movement, like three to five breaths. Just see where the, where the, where do the elbows want to bend? Where does the spine want to rotate? Do you want to bring your neck into it? And there's always a few people in class that are just frozen. And so I have to remind them too, if you don't even know what free movement is, look at whatever's happening in your practice right now and love it because that is your practice. You know, even if in your practice is noticing the freeze that can open something up of, well, why am I freezing? Or what would happen if I was brave enough to just find a little sway or like, how does that feel? You know, it's being, you know, trauma informed as a yoga teacher. It's a continuous reminder to those who trust me enough to practice with them that whatever their practice looks like is perfect. You know, that's what it should look like that day. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same for um, body work and what I do with people too. Um, Sometimes people want to compare their journey to others and two sessions will look very different for each person. And even two sessions for yourself will look different from one session to the next. So we have to just Mm -hmm. kind of meet where you are today and, you know, work with that and not worry about tomorrow or the the next person, like just worry about this moment, but it's hard because, you know, a lot of people, we see the bigger picture and we're like, what's the end, what's the end game out of here? We have to know everything (laughs) instead of just being present today and, and feeling into the body now. So yeah, those are really, really helpful. I, I try to give, you know, I give my clients permission to do that on their own. Just go home and make some movement. Just add some movement. See what feels good today. Do you need movement or do you need stillness? And then just to have an awareness of where the body is, is important. And to just create that connection, I suppose, to start tuning into the body a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when people, when you say like healing trauma, um, I I know that sounds really scary to some people or impossible. Like, so what do you think, where does that start? How does someone start? Because there can be a lot of layers that are connected. And by the time maybe people are starting to feel like there's something I need to deal with, they don't know where, where to start because there's stuff that gets wrapped up in that and many years and (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's so many layers. Like it's such a, a beefy term, you know, to say like healing trauma. And then you think of like, wait, but which one? (laughs) Cause there's like a pile here and, and, you know, it's like, yes, it's like the, the pile of dirty laundry, you know, and it's just like, let's just keep avoiding it. Let's just pretend it's not there rather than just like pick a little bit out of a time. Um, you know, I think that, there is, for me at least, there is a strong importance of um, therapy, you know, like having like a trusted therapist and not just yeah. putting everything into, you know, like going to like your regular neighborhood yoga class and yeah. moving your body and thinking like, I'm healing my trauma, you know, right. like we need a few, a few guides. We need like a few yeah. tools in our toolbox, especially if you're moving through some heavy stuff. Um, So 
for me, I guess a huge part of it is just accepting where you are in the present moment or just noticing where you are in the present moment because the body shows up differently every day and so does the mind. And so we can talk about healing trauma and think about all the stuff that happened in childhood, but let's see what's presenting today. You know, I feel like rage or resentment or anxiety might be what we're feeling in that moment. And so we may not have to, I'm, I'm, and I'm referring to like the work that I do, you know, like as a yoga teacher with my experience, because there's many other ways to approach this depending on what your line of work is. But I feel like with my students and classes and especially the retreats that I hold also, because I feel like retreats, like we can really go deep. Um, a lot of times these emotions or fears or anxieties that we're experiencing in the present moment are related to past traumas, but we don't always need to go all the way back there to start chipping away at some of the resolve. We can yeah. just arrive to what's happening right now. And then, you know, finding some release of that, it's all connected. So mm-hmm. by, by beginning there in the present moment, it ends up translating to the bigger root of where it came from. Yeah. Sowing the seeds and you start peeling back one layer and then <laughs> you kind of go backwards sometimes. And sometimes it's backwards and forwards and all the way around. The healing is never linear. So <laughs> it's always yeah. all over the place. And sometimes you're like, it's I thought I'm done with that. <laughs> Oh God, do I know about that? Yeah. <laughs> Why is it showing it, up again? <laughs> yeah, it's it's baby steps. And um, yeah, that's the important thing is that what I'm really teaching is different tools, you know. So even though I'm rooted to yoga, which is this ancient practice from India from five, over 5,000 years ago, um, I'm very interested in all different kinds of therapy. I have intentions of becoming like a yoga therapist. You know, I study the works of different psychologists. And so I like to incorporate a bunch of different uh, practices, even in my yoga classes. You know, sometimes we'll sing in a class and we won't be chanting traditional Sanskrit mantras, but we'll be singing because the throat chakra is related to the root chakra, right? And, um, you know, the root is your feelings of identity and your feeling of safety and groundedness. And so when you learn to sing and open up, you know, there's a diaphragm happening up here, like a bowl, and there's a diaphragm happening down there, your pelvic bowl, and they're related. So this is just you know, you think you're just coming to a yoga class and then we're singing and, you know, it's like finding that release and that freedom in the voice and finding how that translates to the root of how we're sitting. And then maybe after 10 minutes of singing, then we move into our asana and we move into like letting the rest of that energy that we just woke up and stirred up, move throughout other areas of the body and then eventually release through the shavasana. 
Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's a, it's a good visual for people because I, I think sometimes, you know, I don't think that people realize that there's so much that can be involved with yoga. Um, I think people think it's either, you know, laying on the floor, just in Shavasana or like just downward dogs or something, you know, or stuff that they can't do like headstands. That's very difficult, but there's so much that can go in between those things. And I think that's like, it's really interesting to know that there's, there's ways that you can move your body through those different things and how it's all related, you know, the body's all connected. So I I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It totally depends on your teacher and just who you resonate with, you know, because I know that the work that I do is not for everyone. You know, some people get really excited about it and they're like, yeah, cool. Like I, I'm not ready for therapy yet, or I can't afford therapy yet, but I'm crying in Alex's class. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, like a superwoman after that class. And, and that feeling is, makes me feel great. So, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, yoga, it, there's such a spectrum and there, it's such an umbrella and you can definitely walk into a yoga class and just feel like you're getting, um, exercise and just feeling like you're getting a workout. And maybe that's not what you're seeking. So if there is anyone listening to this, who feels like they tried yoga and it wasn't for them and they were just ready to throw that out and, you know, I would say just try a different teacher, you know, cause everybody we're, we're working with the same kind of practices, but we all teach them very uniquely. And maybe you just haven't found the teacher who, yeah. who reaches you in the way that you need. So I encourage people just try it again, find someone else, do a little bit of research on, on that teacher's, um, mission, their purpose. Like, why are they a teacher? What are they looking to bring you? Yeah. I think that's important because I mean, when I first started yoga, like a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I just thought it was for working out. I didn't know that there was, you know, I'd go to hot yoga and I was like, I'm just going to sweat my ass off. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, that was, I was not into the healing you know, industry. Like that wasn't something I thought was like even in my realm. So, mm-hmm. uh, it it's changed over the years, but um, yeah, back in the day, I would just go for like workouts and I'm like, I'm just going to power through this and yeah. I'm not really connected to my body at all. But if I can get through the moves, then I've done yoga. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was my, thought. most of us, most of us in the West, that's how we find it, Yeah, which, you know, I do, it's not the worst thing ever that that's how we find it because look, you and I, our first times doing yoga, same thing. My first class was a hot yoga class. Yeah. I was 15. I was totally hungover. I hadn't drank water in probably days. I showed up in sweatpants and I literally passed out. And, you know, I continued practicing yoga and I wanted to be like hot and strong and bendy and looking cool. And I want to make those shapes and, you know, and a lot of us in the West, that's how we find yoga, but that's also the magic and the power of yoga is that it is a science. And by coming into these different postures and these different shapes, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're raising your consciousness. And so look, you and I are two people who started just trying to get a workout or trying to be flexible or bendy and look at where we are now and the work that we're doing that's right. just how we found it, but look at what it, it naturally will open you up to more. So yeah. Yeah. it's a, it's a beautiful reminder also for the non-judgment of whoever is on their journey or whenever they're on it. There's plenty of people who I know and love who still just look at yoga as an exercise. And yeah. you know, I'm like, you just wait. <laughs> 
stay with it for a few years. You'll be chanting Sanskrit with me in a cave somewhere. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's just like planting little bit of seeds here and there. And then like, it's not our, um, you know, it's none of our business to decide when it's time for someone to, you know, make their changes because they may never, but it's not up for us to decide that. So we can only, you know, plant the seeds like this is what's available. And then you either resonate with it or you don't, or maybe it's always in the back of your head until that traumatic thing happens. And you're like, Oh, that's what Alex was talking about. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's what she said. And I didn't, I didn't realize what it was. So sometimes mm-hmm. it comes back to us when we need it the most. I think, um, I, I know you said you work yeah. a lot with grief too. What do you, what do you define as grief? I mean, I know you said you lost your father at 17 and I'm so sorry to hear that. I've actually lost both of my parents. So I understand that feeling and I don't know that grief ever goes away, but I love to hear how people define it because I think it's a little bit different for each person, how we experience it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have learned that grief is an overflow of love that Mm. feels like it has nowhere to go. Yeah. And it's this like innate yearning to connect that love. And then that's where the pain comes from of just feeling like there's nowhere for that specific love to connect to something. Mm. Um, In a way, my grief has become a friend and a teacher And has molded me into becoming one of the most loving versions of myself that I've ever met because I have such an overflow, you know, and now I just want to just share it with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I don't know that I've heard it maybe defined that way, but I love that. I think that that's, that's a great way. It doesn't have a purpose now. There's nowhere for it to go because that person that you're, or whatever you're grieving is no longer there. So we have to, you know, um, put that energy into something else, I suppose. That's, that's an interesting way to look at that. Um, yeah. I, how do you think people, um, can learn to accept that because that seems really heavy and it is very heavy. I've experienced it many, many times in my life as I'm sure most people have, but how, how do you accept that? That sounds so hard. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, especially because when someone dies or we lose someone or, you know, even with grief too, like it's not reserved just for death. Like we grieve relationships, we grieve past versions of ourselves, we grieve projects and ideas that we were connected to. And so grief, I feel like isn't just associated with death, but more so associated with attachment, Mm. which is, which is where my yoga practice really comes in to help me with my grief because you know, Buddhism and, and, you know, Hinduism and just yoga philosophy, you know, we learn about non-attachment. Right. So like I said, for me, grief is this overflow of love that feels like it has nowhere to go. So 
in my practice of just like, well, what do you do with that? You look for somewhere to put it. You look for somewhere for it to go. And so when I think about the the pain of, you know, losing my father, you know, I lost, he died when I was 17, right when I was about to graduate from high school. And um, a big part of my practice was writing letters to him, you know, like my grief had nowhere to go, but somatically, you know, and energetically, I found this release of just like writing to him, like almost every day in my journal, because it was just giving that somewhere to go. Um, Something else that really helped me, which I think was just divinely brought to me, you know, I, I didn't have this like um, idea of like, oh, I'm going to look for this, but finding the spirit of my father in the eyes and the hearts of strangers. And, yeah. you know, I, I'll tell you like a little story. It's just like coming up for me now. I recall being on the Long Island Railroad maybe six months after my father died. I was like brand new to college and God, it was scary. Like, how do I meet people? How do I meet friends right now? Like I'm a shell of a person. And all I want to do is talk about my dead dad. Meanwhile, everyone's at the keg party. Like what a, what a buzzkill. But (laughs) I just remember um, being on the Long Island Railroad, going into Manhattan, probably just to take myself out for a day because, you know, I became my own best friend during my grief. I was the only one who understood what I was going through. So I just like took myself on experiences. And anyway, in this railroad, you know, it's, it's a bunch of, you know, seats that are in rows, but in between the seats, there's like this little opening that you can kind of like peer through. It's hard to explain, but yeah, it's just like this little space that between each chair, even though the chairs are connected, it's like this little hole. I don't know how to describe it, but I'm sitting on one, 12 rows down. There's a man sitting on the other end of the line of the chairs. And I'm probably listening to some blues guitar in my headphones because my father was a blues guitarist. So of course I'm just going to listen to the blues and and stare out the window and, you know, be in my feelings. And I I'm peering through this like circular spaciousness between all these chairs and way down on the other end of the train, I see these eyes also looking directly through and I don't see the whole face. I just see, you know, the eyebrows, the eyes, maybe a little bit by the nose and me and this man are just staring at each other, not saying a single thing, eye gazing, you know, that's like a, it's like a practice that people do in, in, um, you know, like connection things. It's like yeah, hard. Um, eye yeah, yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't planning to do this, me and this stranger, <laughs> but yeah. I would say like seven minutes went by and me and this man are just staring deep into each other's souls. And I feel like I'm looking at my father's eyes. It look it's, it's his eyes. Like it's his wrinkles underneath. It's like the gray blue color. It's everything. I'm looking at my father yeah. and me and this man just start crying. Oh, wow. And we're not, 
Yeah. We're not saying anything. I have no idea what he looks like. I don't know what his top of his head looks like. I don't know what he's wearing. All I see is this window of his eyes and he sees the same for me. And both of us just start crying. And I was with my father, like, you know, and, um, by the time the ride was over or we, we broke that gaze, I remember standing up and taking a quick look at him and he looked nothing like my father and he was like nothing that I thought he would be. And we didn't even have like a final, like, that was cool. You know, like there was no acknowledgement of what just happened. It was like a quick glance. And then we just parted ways. And like, that was super healing for me and my grief. Like I just, I found my father's soul in the eyes of a complete stranger yeah. And, you know, it, it was very unique and something I'll, I'll have with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's really special. I think that that happens. I find that happening sometimes too. I will see someone that looks nothing like anyone I know, but there's something behind their eyes that I, oh my gosh, that's, I know that person, you know, I know that soul. And so it's just really special because we, I think we hold on to that because it makes us realize we're we're still really here. We're still connected. You know, they, that thought doesn't go away. That feeling doesn't go away. They're still there with us just in a different form. And sometimes it comes through other people. So that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think that, uh, since your yoga practice, uh, maybe it happened after that, I'm not sure, but do you think that yoga has helped you to create more safety in your body to help that grieving and healing process happen or yeah um yoga definitely became this bridge to help me arrive to feeling safe in my body Mm -hmm. um from other traumas that I've experienced but even so with the with the radical acceptance of grief Mm -hmm. um you know, in yogic philosophy, it is understood that we are God and that everything is God. Um, for a really long time, I never said the word God. So if that word is making whoever is listening to this uncomfortable, you could say the divine or spirit or energy, because we're all talking about the same thing. You know, we know that we are. Um, but I think that, um, Learning that in yogic philosophy helped me remember that that core of who I am of just love, you know, the core of who I am of this um, this light, this energy is in the heart of every living being. Um, and so when it comes to my grief, like this is kind of, I guess, piggybacking piggybacking (laughs) off of what we were just talking about of um, like finding the soul of your angel in the heart or eyes of a stranger. It's because it is because we're all the same. You know, we're all, we're all, we're all God. Ram Das says that um, everyone is just God in drag, you know, like we're just dressed up and and performing as these like individual expressions of god and so when i remember that you know that light that consciousness the atman 
uh, of my father and of myself is the same, then I know that I really can connect to him through anyone else because it's all the same. And then same with myself, you know, when I connect to that light of myself, it's not just the awareness of my own um, grace of, of being a manifestation of the divine, but it's also a returning to everything that is that manifestation, including my father. Yeah. So when I'm, when I'm with that space of myself, I know that I'm also with that space of him. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. For, for a long time before, before I learned about that philosophy and really, you know, like words to put with it. Like, I felt like I was coming with that my own. And then now I'm like, oh, this makes sense. Like, no wonder why I'm studying yoga. Like everything that I felt in my life is here, you know, there's a word for it. But I used to say to people when I was uncomfortable with the word God, I used to tell people like my father is my God. You know, I don't, I don't believe in God or I don't have a relationship with God, but my father is my God because he's the one who I pray to. And Mm -hmm. he's the one who I feel is always with me. And he's the one that I feel um, like I'm brave because I have his protection. And so if you replace my father with the word God for someone who had that connection with whatever God means to them or their religion or whatever, it's the same thing. You know, you turn to God or Jesus or, you know, um, Allah, you know, like any, anything that is the name of God. And, you know, this is what brings them protection. This is who they pray to. Like, it's all the same thing. So I thought that was kind of cool how my father was always my God. And now it's just like shifting, but it still is that all encompassing awareness that like, yes, that's true. And this is true. And that is true. Like it's all the same. Yeah. I think that that's also important too. like, just on a little bit of a side note, like you can have something that's true, but something else can also be true. (laughs) You know, there can be Mm -hmm. many truths that neither are wrong. It's just, you know, this is true. And this is true too. Like I have, Mm -hmm. you know, um, green eyes, but I also have brown hair, (laughs) you know, something like that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, things can, can have multiple truths. So it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you do some somatic practices too, as well with the yoga? Is that part of the, some of the grief and stuff as well? Like when you're working with people, um, that are trying to find connection, um, is, is some of these somatic practices that you do with yoga, does that help kind of guide all of this, like bring it back under that same house, you know? with your mind, body, soul type of thing? Are those all related or are they different? They, I think it's all related because, you know, I look at somatic work or somatic practices as just um, the awareness that energy and emotion is in the body. And so we must move, excuse me, we must move the body to release and move that energy. So you can study, you know, somatic therapy and somatic healing separately than yoga. And so with me, most of my background is with yoga and then my own, you know, research on different somatic practices I'll weave in with my personal practice or I'll weave in, in my classes. Um, But it's another thing I'm super interested in pursuing, you know, it's like my intention to also study somatic healing as a whole. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, when, when I think of grief, you know, before we're talking so much about how grief is love, 
but not everyone is there yet. Some people will never get there. And that has not been the full spectrum of my experience with grief. Like that's, that's how I'm able to talk about grief now, but especially beginning, I mean, it is just a heaviness. It is, um, an anger and a frustration of just like, why did this happen? And like, why was this taken away from me? And it's, it's deeper than pain. It it becomes this like, um, yeah, this anger, this resentment, this like, like you just, you know, like you're crawling out of your skin because it's just like overtaking your body. And, um, you know, I haven't brought this into a yoga class, but I've brought this to, you know, a client or one of my friends who's moving through some grief. And this is something that my therapist suggested to me one day. Um, and I also, I, I studied art in college. I was a documentary photographer and um, I also took performance art classes and this practice, I actually performed once as a performance art piece. And um, it's, it's a great somatic healing tool Um, I went to a dollar store and I bought a bunch of plates, like 99 cent plates. And I took a hammer or a bat and I put on some goggles and I went out into the forest and I just let out my rage and my, you know, it's just like life sucks. Like everything is horrible. Like I just want to fucking go crazy. And, you know, living our human lives with our jobs and our families and our kids and these things. It's like, you got to keep it together. Like you got to just be strong and power through. And that's, I think the cool thing about so many different kinds of somatic practices. It's like, no, here's a container where you can just be primal, like be the animal that you are. Like we are animals We're we're supposed to, you know, go crazy once in a while, like it's in our blood. So, you know, what I did at this time, I was moving through some deep rage and grief and anger. And, you know, another thing about trauma is that you could, like, I moved through the trauma of losing my father and like, like watching him die. Like that's like, it was like very traumatic And what that did was also stir up the memory of past traumas that had nothing to do with grief. But all of a sudden, my childhood abuse stuff is like also at the forefront of my mind. And it's just like, how how does one person move through their grief and now acknowledge this stuff at the same time? Like, why is it happening at once? But that's what trauma does. It's, it stirs up the past at the same time. So when I had this practice of just like, you know, really being wild woman in the woods, you know, smashing these plates and just like watching the ceramic, like explode everywhere. And I'm screaming and just like, like throwing the hammer, like over my head and like getting it out of there. Like, it was related to related to all of the trauma because that's the thing too about doing mind and body work you know it's the mind that creates the story and conceptualizes why we're feeling a certain way so the mind is saying i'm moving through the grief i'm angry that my father is not here i feel helpless i feel like a child who's lost 
their North star and their protection. And, you know, the mind is saying like all this fear and anxiety is coming up about past abuse. And, you know, we can go on forever about the mind creating that story. Yeah. The body doesn't really care for the story. The body just knows what it's feeling. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter. Like, this is the cool thing of like, if you're not ready to go to talk therapy, like you can still move through major things, smashing some plates and, you know, like, like, like screaming your heart out because that's just speaking to the way the trauma is manifesting physically. And like, it's just, it's just as powerful, if not more. So that's also why I'm so passionate about sharing this work because I think for a long time, you know, we always just thought there was one way like, oh, you're going through this. Like you need to go to therapy. You, you need to talk to someone, but that can even be re-traumatizing for some people. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I think that there is a, a balance between all we have to know when it's appropriate to seek professional, you know, mental health, because that is very important. And that is, you know, its own thing, but our body still needs to, whether it's, um, you know, trauma or grief or any kind of emotion, our body has to be able to feel that in order to heal it. So we have to go through Mm -hmm. something that brings it to the surface. Um, and it's not always as scary as it sounds. Sometimes it's very, um, small sensations that are very profound. It doesn't have to be something crazy, but a lot of times there's layers to the the emotions and our body really needs to feel that in order to um, complete the process and whatever way that that is, you know, and part of like in what I do with myofascial release, we'll have like some part we call unwinding. And that is basically going back to where the body is put into a position of a past trauma or an injury, or let's you know, if you've fallen, your body needs to complete that fall in order to like really process what happened. So sometimes the, the movements feel very fluid. And then other times it's like, man, I feel like I just fell down the steps again. Like it literally feels like I fell down the steps. And so there can be emotion that come up with that, obviously, because it can be re-traumatizing. It can be scary, but um, sometimes right. we get like rage and then like we feel underneath that rage and like what's under that rage and that anger is like grief, it's sadness, or it's, you know, it's something yeah. else. Like, so, it, you know, we have to be able to feel, you know, maybe all day I'm feeling angry and I don't know what I'm actually feeling, but deep down it's like sadness and I have to get to that heart to like really heal the issue. And that's just an example. I mean, there can be so many yeah. different things, but it's, it's very fascinating how the body needs to move. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool too, because, you know, like I was saying before, like the mind has its own understanding and awareness of these emotions and the body is sometimes and often moving at a different pace and, and, yeah. and, and at a different pace. So the cool thing also about this work is like, I don't always have to go there with my students or my clients, like explaining to them, like, this is going to heal your trauma. Like, you don't even have to say that. It's just a tool. So like working with the nervous system, for example, like when we know that the parasympathetic nervous system is regulated, then we have 
then we we know that we're safe and we know that we can calm down, like we're not in danger. And so or something like grief, you know, we can our our sympathetic nervous system, you know, fight or flight or freeze is like activated. And so, you know, those other kinds of like more difficult emotions are coming up. So even something as simple, you know, I do with my students when they're standing up on their yoga mat, I just have them like kind of bop up and down, like coming up onto their tippy toes and then dropping their heels. And we kind of just like bounce around, jump around, like let the shoulders be heavy and just like shake the arms a little bit, shake the head a little bit. And I don't, I don't tell them like, this is great for trauma because (laughs) Not everybody in my Monday morning class is like wanting to talk about that or acknowledge that right now. Right. But I will tell them like just this simple bouncing around, like you feel a little bit silly, but we're going to do it for three minutes and it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. It helps you feel calm and regulated. And like, if that's the only little snippet of a somatic tool, you know, or a movement tool that's related to the nervous system. And I just like drop that little nugget, like in the class, that's it. You you know, that's, that's the cool thing about doing this work is like, we know what we're really hoping to target here, but the students, it's like, cool. Like I just learned to jump around. And now maybe that someone in that class, next time they're having a panic attack or they're just feeling super anxious. They're like, oh yeah, I did this thing in yoga. Let me just bounce around for a little bit. And then boom, like they feel a lot better. Like that's, that's magic. Yep. We, we do something similar in myofascial release called rebounding. And as a therapist, I can rebound the client, which would be shaking, you know, a rhythmic rocking, but there is also self rebounding, which would be like what you're talking about, this bouncing up and down and, you know, just allowing your body to really go through the movements. Like it creates chaos in the body, but then, um, it helps to regulate inside. And then, you know, we have little, releases happening in this, um, where it's like really chaotic and where there's disorganization, then it reorganizes. And then everything is like, ah, oh, back to calm again. So yeah, those things are like really important. And if you can like be a little kid and just bounce around, turn on some wild music, I mean, it can really start your day different <laughs> five minutes. That's oh, all you need. Jump around. For oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I love starting my mornings dancing like a wild animal. <laughs> yeah, it really gets our blood flowing and it just like turns on something that's very natural feeling. And I think that kind of goes back to what you're talking about. It's like hard to give yourself permission to move. Um, that's just kind of one of those practice things that we have learned to just be still, don't let anybody see me, just be quiet, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's wonderful. So you are currently down in Guatemala. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing down there? You're, you're hosting a retreat. I'm actually hosting a yoga teacher training. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm doing it a little bit like retreat style, um, because it's a three week program. So, um, everyone who signed up for the training is flying down from the United States and they will be living in the retreat center for three weeks. Um, but it's a training. So by the end of the three weeks, um, all of the students will be certified yoga teachers. Oh, that is so cool. That's great. And they're coming from all over the country, I assume. Um, a mix. Someone's flying in from Texas. Someone's flying in from Baltimore and, um, I'm from New York. 
So the majority of the people are, um, you know, they've, they've worked with me before they've practiced with me before. So they're coming down from New York. Um, but yeah, I'm traveling for a few months. I'll be living here in Guatemala for a little over a month and then, um, moving on to Mexico where I'm in the workings of creating a yoga retreat for Mexico. Uh, the theme will be around living your purpose. Um, and then, yeah, just continuing my travels and eventually making my way back to New York, back to my houseboat, uh, teaching and leading more teacher trainings as well. That is so cool. I think that, you know, especially living in the the Northeast, um, we need like sunshine and warm weather, especially in these colder months where it's drab and cold and dark and <laughs> miserable. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to go somewhere warmer and there's probably more sun and you can, you know, really connect to your, your mind and your body. And, um, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. The winter, the winter does have its perks too, though. Remember like, um, you know, like we, we are of nature, right? Like we are, especially as women, we are cyclical beings. So we, we go through our seasons, of course, every month with our cycle, but you know, I, I used to feel like rejecting the winter and, and the coldness and everything like that. But um, it's funny, like now that I have this awareness and this different relationship with the seasons just happens to be the year that I decide to travel. But um, a part of me is missing like the slow pace of the winter and, and, you know, like making those stews and sitting by the fire and just like, you know, enjoying the, the deep, you know, like reflections of winter and, and the time to yeah. just rest. So I hope that you enjoy your coldness also, because it has its medicine for sure. It definitely does. And, you know, it's nice to slow down, but then it, I, I really appreciate when the sun is out and I can feel that on my face, it feels extra oh, yeah. special in the winter time. So it like comes out periodically here. It may be out right now. So like, Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Just stand outside. Just a few breaths, just letting that sun hit you just like fills you back up for sure. Yeah, it really does. It really does. So I am so glad that you were able to jump on here today to talk with me and, um, where can people find more information about you? If they're interested in like, so, working with you or yoga training or whatever. Yeah. So um, first it's, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you as well. Like it's been a great conversation and I'm sure we're going to stay in touch. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's lovely. Um, and for people who are listening, who are interested in working with me or learning more about the work that I do, I would say for right now, Instagram would probably be the best place. It's okay. my handles, just my name, Alexandra Spurgel. Okay. Um, my, my website is alexandraspurgel.com. Um, I'm in the process of making some really strong updates to the website. So that's why I say Instagram first, but my website does have, you know, my contact information. If you ever wanted to email me, um, but yeah, I, I feel like I've cultivated a nice connection with people on Instagram. You know, people find my work and they DM me and I'm voice noting people all the time. And it's really become an awesome platform to network and uh, introduce people to the practice. So wherever it feels best for others to reach out to me, Instagram or my website or email is great. Awesome. Well, I will link that in our show notes so that if anyone wants to check you out, they can. Or thanks for being on the show again. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks. Okay. We'll talk to you later, everyone.
And we'll see you next time on another episode of Return to Ease. Thanks for listening to Return to Ease. Before you go, show some love for this podcast by leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you and stay tuned for the next episode. 